As we continue, I just wanted to introduce you to someone you may already know, uh, Mitch Friedman. Hi, Mitch. Hi. Uh, Mitch is going to be opening God's Word for us this morning. Uh, Mitch has been a part of some of our summer preaching cohorts. Uh, He's currently a seminary student at RTS, uh, doing some distance education, Um, and we've uh, tapped uh, Mitch to uh, participate, jump into part of our series here in Luke, and so um, I'd like to introduce him to you. I'd like to pray for him just briefly, and then I'm going to hand hand it over to him to open up God's Word for us this morning. So would you join me in prayer? Father, we thank you for even what we just sang. We pray you'd make it true of our hearts, what just came from our lips, that we would adore you and love you and worship you above every other thing. So do the work in our hearts necessary. Help us to receive what you have for us from your Word, through your servant, Mitch. Um, thank you for the preparation, the work of your Holy Spirit this, this week in his study, and pray your Spirit would fill him afresh as he opens his mouth that you would guard him from error, that you would give our hearts and minds um, a readiness to receive from your word through your servant. Um, So thank you for him and his service. Would you encourage us uh, through uh, this message and through your word this morning, through Mitch. Bless him, encourage him, and bless us through his labor. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Um, This morning, we're going to be in Luke chapter 2, verses 39 through 52. Uh, Our strike team members are coming around with Bibles. If you you need one of those, just raise your hand, and um, they'll be able to provide you with a copy of God's Word. Um, This beautiful new pulpit podium um, is wonderful. I just have one gripe with it. As a guy that's 5'7", this one's an inch or two taller than the other one. We could have gone an inch or two shorter. Um, (laughs) But um, yeah, so we're in Luke 2, like I said this morning. Um, And this is kind of an interesting story. When we come to this one in the narrative, um, I mean, it's kind of confusing to me. Like, why does Luke plug in this this little story of Jesus when he's 12. None of the other Gospels do it. Um, it just seems uh, a, a little strange. Um, and so, like, why why this story, or why a story of Jesus when he's 12 at all, and also why this story? So, to introduce the scripture to us this morning, this is actually part of Jesus' birth narrative that we've been in the last couple weeks. This is considered part two of that birth narrative. Um, and this birth narrative is uh, paralleled with the birth narrative narrative of John the Baptist. And what it's doing, in um, it's showing that John the Baptist is important and that he's a significant figure. But this parallel with Jesus' narrative that is um, bigger and greater is to show that Jesus, like John is great, but Jesus is greater. Um, and just to emphasize that. Um, and so these verses advance us from... Jesus' birth to when he's 12 years old. So we're going to read the text before we get into um, what the Lord has to say today. Um, Starting in verse 39, we're going to catch the end of Jesus' first part of his birth narrative and then go into the story of 12-year-old Jesus. So verse 39, And when they had performed everything according to the law of the Lord, they returned into Galilee to their own town of Nazareth. And the child grew and became strong, filled with wisdom, and the favor of God was upon him. Now his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover. And when he was 12 years old, they went up according to custom. And when the feast was ended, 
As they were returning, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. His parents did not know it, but supposing him to be in the group, they went a day's journey. But when they began to search for him among their relatives and acquaintances, and when they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem, searching for him. After three days, they found him in the temple, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. And when his parents saw him, they were astonished. And his mother said to him, Son, why have you treated us so? Behold, your father and I have been searching for you in great distress. And he said to them, Why were you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? And when they did not understand the saying that he spoke to them, and he, and he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was submissive to them. And his mother treasured up all these things in her heart. And Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. So my big question for us this morning is, do you have misconceptions about Jesus? During Jesus' life, during his ministry, and soon after, there was misconceptions about who Jesus was. In the first five centuries of church history, there was great debate about who Jesus was. And there was many misconceptions. And those still exist today. We don't recognize them by the names of Docetism or Nestorianism. Um, but those misconceptions still exist. So I ask you this morning, do you have misconceptions about Jesus? So the misconceptions have changed emphasis throughout church history. Um, in the early church, there was a popular denial of Jesus' humanity. But in the 4th century, there was a popular denial of Jesus' deity. And throughout the history of the church, there's been numerous and repeated misconceptions about Jesus. And unless we're really studied up on our church history, again, I think we can unknowingly hold some of these misconceptions. And until Tuesday this week, I had least, at least one. So um, I ask you then again this morning, do you have misconceptions about Jesus? So um, we're going to get into answering that question, and I believe this passage um, helps us. It shows us why this story of Jesus when he's 12 in Luke 2 um, shows why it's important, and it shows us this morning that Jesus is truly man, like us, yet without sin, empowered by the Holy Spirit, and truly God. So who knew that this little story in Luke 2, could tell us so much about Jesus. So point one this morning um, is going to come from verses 39 through 42. Jesus is truly man, like us, yet without sin. So these verses summarize um, part one of Jesus' birth narrative and then lead us into part two. And it's, uh, again, a seemingly strange story that on the surface, doesn't seem to tell us a whole lot. Um, but this story, um, these, these first couple verses show us very significant things. Um, shows us that Jesus is like us, and yet he was without sin. So first, that he was like us. In verse 40, this is the first summary statement of Jesus' birth narrative. And it concludes um, what we've been in the last couple weeks in Jesus' birth narrative. 
And so in that narrative, um, God dwells with his people and becomes Emmanuel, God with us. The Son of God takes on a true human nature in the, in the incarnation. Then in verses 41 through 42, uh, we get Jesus at age 12. From a baby, he grew uh, to become a 12-year-old, like us. Like, we grow from babies to, to whatever age that we are. And he grew like us in his true human nature. He learned to walk. He learned how to talk. He got hungry and upped his parents' grocery bill. Amen, parents? <laughs> um, he learned how to play, and he truly aged. He was made like us in every way. It's important because for God's plan of redemption to be accomplished, he had to be made like us in every way. Hebrews 2.17 confirms this. It says, Therefore, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect, so that he might become a faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. Jesus was made like us in every way, yet without sin. He fulfilled the law of God perfectly in his humanity. And Luke shows us that even in the early years of Jesus, he was keeping God's law perfectly. Verse 39 it says that Mary and Joseph performed all things concerning Jesus according to the law of the Lord. He was circumcised on the eighth day, dedicated in the temple, and um, they performed the they gave the proper sacrifice at his dedication. And these are things found in um, Leviticus. And so Jesus was providentially born into a family that was devout in observing God's law. So that even before he could walk or talk, he was perfectly um, fulfilling the righteous requirement of the law. And this continues into his childhood. Um, the fact that it says they annually or yearly observed the Passover and went to Jerusalem shows that his parents were very devout in keeping God's law. Nazareth is located 70 miles from Jerusalem, and they would walk every year to Jerusalem to go observe the Passover. And so... This shows that Mary and Joseph um, were God-fearing people that were devout in keeping the laws of the Lord. And this aspect of Jesus' sinlessness in his youth um, is important because Scripture consistently points to our need for a sinless Savior. Our salvation depends on Jesus being truly man, like us in every way, yet without sin. Romans 5.19 says that, For as by one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners, so that by one man's obedience, the many were made righteous. In Romans 5, Paul lays out, in, uh, he contrasts the death brought to us through Adam and the life brought to us through Christ. Adam, being the first man, was the head of all humanity. And he was supposed to be a type of the one who was to come. But the head of all humanity sinned and brought death to all who followed him. And so um, we needed a better Adam. And the one who Adam's life pointed to, Jesus, he comes in the flesh and is obedient. So he is a second and better Adam. In his humanity, he was actively obedient to the law of God in every way. And through his life, he... And through his life of obedience, he brings life to us. 
So how do we take hold of the life that Jesus brings through his obedience? This morning, have faith in Christ. As I've said, the importance of Jesus' active obedience can clearly be seen in Romans 5. In that chapter, and in many other places, um, the New Testament um, lays out that the free gift of grace that leads to life comes to us through faith in Christ. By placing our faith in the work of Jesus, he bears our sinful record on the cross and gives us his obedient record. Our good works cannot save us. Only the perfect obedience of Christ, credited to us, can make us right with God. So I ask you this morning, is your faith in Christ? Are you trusting him as your Savior? Do you believe that you are saved by his work alone from sin, death, and hell? If your faith is not in Christ, then you are still in your sin and under the reward of death and judgment that Adam brings. But for those who are trusting in Christ this morning, I urge you to remember the gospel. Jesus' sinlessness is important because his righteousness is credited to us who have faith in him. And when God looks at our record... The perfect obedience of Christ is there, and he's pleased. Because of the sinlessness of Jesus, God sees our record as sinless. And so you have real rest in Christ this morning. You have a guaranteed hope. God's love for you is not based on your your performance, but rather on Christ's work, and that alone saves. So as we remember that, May we grow in our love for God and seek to grow in our Christ-likeness. But if Jesus is a man like us in every way, how did he do the incredible things he did in his ministry? To point two this morning, Jesus is truly man, empowered by the Holy Spirit. So this narrative continues. After... Mary and Joseph and Jesus had observed the Passover. Um, They headed back towards Nazareth. And you'd often make this pilgrimage to Jerusalem in a large caravan. And two commentaries I I read this week said that the men would often walk with the men, and the women would often walk with the women. And the children would kind of spend time together and move throughout the caravan. Um, But it would have been very easy for Joseph to assume that Jesus was with Mary, and for Mary to assume that Jesus was with Joseph. Um, But they get to, um, they travel a day's journey, and probably come to supper time or bedtime, and they begin to look for Jesus, and they realize that he's not there. And so it says that they travel a day's journey back to Jerusalem, and then it says after three days, they found him in the temple. And there's a debate whether they search for him for three days or if it was a three days total, um, one day out, one day back, and then one day of searching. Um, The commentaries that I read said it was three days total. Um, But traditionally, teaching would have taken place in the temple during these feasts. Um, People were coming from all around into the city of Jerusalem, where the best teachers were, And so they would have gathered in the temple to hear this teaching. And so Jesus would have capitalized on this opportunity uh, because there were not many good teachers in Nazareth. 
And so his parents find him there, listening and learning. And then he speaks and gives answers. And all who heard him were amazed. And this, this word amazed means that they could not comprehend what they were beholding. It didn't make sense that this 12-year-old knew what he knew and that he could speak it this way. So this narrative tells us what happened. But I also think it's very applicable for us this morning to understand how this happened. But before going there, um, have you ever been driving your car and something runs in the middle of the road like an animal and you swerve to avoid it? Our natural reaction then, whether it's swerving for an animal or slipping on ice, is when we're headed for one ditch is to overcorrect and end up in the opposite ditch. And so with that in mind, I want us to um, not overcorrect. We naturally do that. Um, But this morning, that's uh, something I want us to avoid because of this man in church history. So the early church had much debate swirling around the person of, um, of Christ. Many of these views aired. A major threat in the 300s was a view by a, nam- a man named Arius. And he taught that Jesus was less than God, making him a creature. In an attempt to correct this error, Apollinaris overcorrected. And I think the majority of us unknowingly can end up in his car. Apollinaris was trying to protect both the unity of the person of Christ as God and man and also his sinlessness. His solution was to say that Jesus had a a human body and soul, but a divine mind. However, it was determined that this view denies that Jesus would have been truly human then. If he was not entirely man in body, soul, and mind, then he could not save those who are truly man. So when we read this story of Jesus astonishing the teachers in the temple, we might go, well, yeah, he impressed them with his wisdom. He's God. And I include myself in in that because until Tuesday, that was my assumption as well. Um, But if our explanation of Jesus' understanding in verse 47 is if that comes from a divine mind, we run into trouble five verses later when we get to verse 52, and it says that he increased in wisdom. That's not possible for, a, for God's mind to increase in wisdom. And so, um, had Jesus' mind been divine, he would have been something less than human and would have no room to grow in wisdom like verse 52 says that he did. So if we try to explain how he amazed these people that heard him the way that Apollinaris did, then we end up denying that Jesus is truly man and quickly find ourselves inconsistent with Scripture. So I ask again this morning, do you have misconceptions about Jesus? How do we explain Jesus' understanding or wisdom here? Jesus is truly man, empowered by the Holy Spirit. As a toddler, Jesus had to learn how to talk. He had to learn how to walk and how to play. The wisdom that Jesus had at 12 12 years old grew and developed in his 12 years of life. The knowledge that impressed those who heard him, that knowledge truly came from a human mind. He gained this knowledge by the empowering of the Holy Spirit 
through natural means like learning from others or reading the scriptures. There was a point in Jesus' life that he learned the things that amazed those who heard him. And verse 52 says that he'd go on to learn more. So Jesus grew in wisdom in a truly human mind by the empowering of the Holy Spirit. Mark Jones, in an article titled, Why Jesus Needed the Holy Spirit, says, This manner of understanding the relation of the Spirit to Christ's human nature preserves his true humanness and answers a host of biblical questions that arise from the reading of various texts. Importantly, Christ's humanity, both body and soul, does not get lost in or gobbled up by his divinity. Because of this, Christ's humanity needed the Holy Spirit in order to have communion with, with God. What he's saying is that Jesus' humanity would be gobbled up or lost if his mind was divine. He is truly human and needed the Holy Spirit's empowerment to know what he knew and to do what he did. Also, this emphasis on the Holy Spirit's work in Christ's humanity is not something conjured up by theologians out of thin air. Scripture heavily emphasizes the Holy Spirit's work in the life of Christ. In Luke 1.35 and Matthew 1.18, we see that um, Jesus was conceived by the Holy Spirit. When he's baptized in Luke 3 and other, the other stories in the gospel of his baptism, there's visible confirmation to show that the Holy Spirit was upon him. When Jesus is led into the wilderness in Luke 4, it says that he is full of the Holy Spirit. And the prophet Isaiah, in chapter 61 of his letter, um, says that the Messiah will have the Spirit of the Lord upon him. And in Luke 4, 18-19, that's the scripture that Jesus reads in the synagogue and says that this is speaking of me. And so he confirms that the Spirit of the Lord would be upon him. And then in John three thirty four, it says that Jesus gave the Spirit without measure. And so while this sermon um, can't fit unpacking all of those uh, scripture references um, into this message, it's important to see that Scripture testifies to the Holy Spirit's work in Jesus' life. So, back to 12-year-old Jesus in the temple. The amazing things that he said, he learned in his 12 years. When Jesus opened the Old Testament Scriptures, the Holy Spirit empowered him to learn their true meaning and to understand God's will. While Jesus was listening to these teachers and asking questions, the Holy Spirit was there empowering him to learn truth and to give answers that amazed all those who heard him. And at some point in his life, Jesus had to learn who he was and what he was supposed to do. He did so in his humanity, empowered by the Holy Spirit. So one more time, do you have misconceptions about Jesus? Like I said above, when we realize we're maybe heading for one ditch, our tendency is to grab the steering wheel and jerk it to the other ditch and end up there. In the same sense, we tend to be um, pendulum swingers from one end of the spectrum all the way to the other. Um, we just do that in our humanity. So what we need is overcorrection protection. Something to stop us in the middle of the road 
from ending up in the opposite ditch, or a wall in the middle of our pendulum swing to stop us from going to the other end. So the first step in that is that we need to study the scriptures and have the Holy Spirit help us to learn its truths. By studying God's word and having the Spirit help us rightly divide it, we learn who Jesus is and what his purpose is. In it, we also find all that we need for salvation and how to follow Jesus in this life. We must learn what the scriptures say and then also teach those things to others. By teaching the truths of scripture, God uses us to bring people to new life in him and to help us grow as his children. It also helps us preserve those truths truths for those that come after us. This is why we should look at and hold creeds and confessions as helpful tools um, when we look at Scripture. They're not authoritative over Scripture, but they are time-tested works of others who wrestled over these things before us. And they can help us, they can help keep us from ending up in the ditch or from swinging to the other end of the spectrum. So we need to to also, we need to understand these truths, we need to teach them, we need things to help us keep them, and we also need to take these truths with us. When you go hiking, you need a map so you don't get lost. But you don't just look at that map at, at the trailhead and then leave it there and go on your hike without it. You take the map with you. Otherwise, how you remember the trail will get fuzzy and you'll likely get lost. So this morning, my hope is that as we hike through Luke, that we will remember these things about the human nature of Jesus Christ. And I hope that we continue to see the work of the Holy Spirit in Jesus' life and ministry. And next, I hope that we'll continue to see that Jesus was truly God, or truly man and truly God. Point three this morning, Jesus is truly man and truly God. Let's look at the rest of the story. Verses 48 through 52 say, And when his parents saw him, they were astonished. And his mother said to him, Son, why have you treated us so? Behold, your father and I have been searching for you in great distress. And he said to them, Why were you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? And they did not understand the saying that he spoke to them, and went down with them, and came to Nazareth, and was submissive to them. And his mother treasured up all these things in her heart. And Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. Verse 48 shows us that his parents were, when they saw him, they were filled with amazement at what they were witnessing. They were relieved to find him, but they were astonished at what they found him doing. Mary's response shows that Jesus did not fit her expectation. Mary had misconceptions about Jesus. Do you have misconceptions about Jesus? The thought of losing him had caused them great distress, and Mary takes it personally in asking, why have you treated us so? We do this too. We have expectations of others, and when that person doesn't fulfill those expectations, we feel personally attacked, when in reality, that person's purpose was to never hurt us. It's just they didn't meet our expectations. And these unmet expectations are not necessarily sinful acts. Jesus was not in sin for staying behind in the temple. Mary had one expectation for what Jesus' purpose was, and Jesus had another. Jesus responds by saying, Why were you looking for me? 
Did you not know I must be in my Father's house? He's essentially saying, If you knew who I truly am and what my purpose truly is, you would have known that I am the Son of God and that I'd be in the temple. This response tells us profound things about Jesus. For one thing, these are the earliest recorded words that we have of Jesus in the Gospels. So they ought to be given special attention. Also, it identifies him as the Son of God, and he is truly God in the flesh. The Son of God became man at the Incarnation. His relationship with God the Father is unlike any other in all of history. The other thing this does is it clarifies Jesus' purpose. By attesting to God as his Father, he assigns his primary allegiance to God, including his purpose and plans. And lastly, what this statement does is it advances in the, in the narrative that we're going through, it advances Jesus' authority. In keeping the law and being an obedient child to his parents and looking at the Gospels as a whole, one can clearly see that Jesus is an example to follow. But by him claiming to be the Son of God, it shows that he is a Lord to be obeyed. Jesus is not only our perfect example, but also our Lord. So all of this would have understandably been difficult for Mary and Joseph to understand. Yes, they were told those things in the months surrounding his birth, but their understanding at that time was limited. And over 12 years, they watched him grow. They watched him get hungry and cry and go to sleep and have needs and and relate with them. And so they would have experienced his true humanity. And so when he said when he claims to be the son of God, there's misunderstanding. Mary and Joseph knew that their son was truly man, but they did not understand when he claimed to be truly God. So then Jesus left with them and went back to Nazareth and was an obedient child. And we get a repeat of Luke 2:19 here. Um, saying that Mary treasured these things in her heart. There were things going on that Mary did not understand, yet she treasured them. And then lastly, we come to verse 52, which I've touched on a little bit already. This is the second and final summary statement of Jesus' birth narrative. And when we come to Jesus again in the next chapter, he's in his 30s. So this one verse covers 18 years of Jesus' life. And it says that he grew in wisdom, in stature, or years, and in favor with God and man. So for some, like myself, prior to this week, this verse was very confusing. And so I'll try to explain it as simply as I can. Jesus grew in wisdom and in favor with God and man, the same, that he, the same way that he aged in years, as truly man. And yet at the same time, he is truly God. This is a marvelous mystery. How many of you have seen a beautiful sunset or sunrise? And you just, like, right now, picture in your head the most beautiful sunrise or sunset that you've ever seen. What happens next? After taking it in for a second, you think, oh, where's my phone? I gotta, I gotta take a picture. Why? Why? Because you've seen something marvelous, 
And since your words alone won't be able to recreate it or describe it, you try to capture it with your phone. And yet you take, you take that picture and then you look at it and you look back at the sunset and you're still disappointed because it didn't, didn't truly capture what you're looking at. However, our inability to capture the marvelous beauty of the sunset doesn't diminish its beauty. And this example is very similar to Mary's response in verse 51. Just like how our words alone cannot do justice to a beautiful sunset, Mary's mind could not understand these marvelous things about Jesus. But like us with our camera phones, she tried to hang on to this marvelous mystery. Though there was things about Jesus she couldn't understand, she treasured those things in her heart and marveled. If I've said something this morning that you don't understand, can I encourage you to respond like Mary and marvel at the mystery of who Jesus is? If it's confusing that Jesus is truly man and truly God, that's okay. I encourage you to treasure that truth in your heart and marvel at the mystery of Jesus. In a few minutes... Pastor Jake is going to lead us in part of the Chalcedonian Creed. And like us trying to describe a sunset, this creed attempts to put words to the marvelous mystery of Jesus, the God-man. The words rightly describe who Jesus is, yet fall short of encapsulating and truly explaining all that there is to this marvelous mystery. But don't let our inability to fully comprehend this truth deter us from treasuring it in our hearts. Mary did not understand, yet she treasured. The sunset's beauty is not diminished by our inadequacy of our words to describe it. Likewise, the marvelous mystery of Jesus is not diminished by our inadequacy of of being able to explain it. So I urge you this morning to marvel at the mystery of who Jesus is. Jesus is truly man, like us in every way, yet without sin. So have faith in Christ and remember the gospel. Jesus is truly man, empowered by the Holy Spirit. Learn and teach what the scriptures say, and then take this understanding with us through our hike through Luke's gospel. Jesus is truly man and truly God. Let us marvel at that mystery. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you've given us in your word a story to help us understand who Jesus is. The Son of God, second person of the Trinity, yet truly man. Father, this shows how you love us and all that you did to to come to us and redeem us, to dwell with us, to be made like us, to be obedient on our behalf, to become a curse for us. Lord, I pray that this morning we would better understand who you are, And that better understanding would cause us to marvel at the mystery of who you are and what you've done for us. 
May we marvel at the mystery of who you are and how you've loved us when we didn't deserve it and never will. Jesus, this morning, I ask that we would come to greater worship of you and that we would marvel about who you are. Lord, I pray you help us do that. In Jesus' name, amen.